Hello and welcome once again to Glam City. This is our second season. We're very excited to be bringing you 20 episodes in 2018. And if you like what you hear, you can, of course, go to our archive. But if you're wondering what Glam City is uh, and who you are briefly, well, I'm going to tell you what we are here to do is to lift the curtain and to take you behind the scenes to reveal the marvellous archivists, the curious curators and the purveyors of cultural heritage who are working in galleries, libraries, archives and museums across Sydney and across Australia. That's what the glam sector is. And I am Tamsin Peach, here again alone in the studio, abandoned by Anna Hope Clark, but I'm about to abandon her, so that's fine. Um, We say hello to you, Anna, across the airwaves. But I'm not entirely alone because I'm here with Ross Brizetzi from NIDA. If you've ever wondered what those fantastic 19th century costumes from live theatre performances go, they go to NIDA. Is that right, Ross? Well, yes, they do. Some of they them. go into uh, storage, as much as I'm aware. Um, we do have a storage facility off-site at Alexandria with loads of costumes. However, that repository is about to be uh, shut down and we have to move everything back to NIDA. But the answer to that in a simple uh term is yes. Yes, well, it was a yes-no answer question, <laughs> but we got there. So, Ross, you are the... Um, Manager, the library manager yes, that's at correct. NIDA. That's correct. And NIDA yes. is, as everyone knows, uh, the National Institute for Dramatic Arts, yes. where all of the famous Australian, well, not all of them, but many of our mm. musicians and actors and um, have trained. Yes. How long have you been in that role? I've been there since in that role, well, not as manager, but um, as a lib- librarian. Uh, since the 8th of January 1996. That's 22 years. That's a long time. It wasn't my intention to stay for that long, but that's how it's worked out. Because, you know, you're there for two years and then suddenly, you know, you think you'll be moving on, but then there's a grant for stage two of the building and then there's a new library, so you wait and then there's more staff, more um, authority, etc., etc. So it's worked out quite well. So what got you into it in the first place? I mean, you trained in librarian studies. I did. And then why NADA? Okay. Uh, I guess there's a couple of reasons for that. For one thing, personally, I'm a a musician and I love the creative arts. Um, So my interest is in music, music performance, um, also literature and writing to to a lesser degree, but they're still an interest. Um, Libraries themselves, I think that you know, you don't you don't go to university thinking I'm going to be a librarian. You know, you go to to study to get some world life experience and of course some um, educate the education as well. Um, but an aesthetic creeps in that you like the libraries and you like, you know, in your own quiet way. And this can only be me. Um, you you just like the structure of libraries, how they're organised, and it, it grows on you. Well, you so know. that's fascinating. What do you mean by that? You like the structure of you like you like to see. The shelves of books, the way, you know, even the citation indexes with all this kind of quiet but full knowledge, like pages and pages. They, they don't exist anymore, by the way, no. <laughs> citation indexes. But in, in a small way, it's not that you go home thinking of citation indexes, but you like it. Okay, so that's kind of in the background. Uh, after I finished my arts degree, I went Sorry, into- I, I want to just take that out. Yes. So, so it's the order? It's the order of... There's a sense of order. There's a sense of peace. I mean, there's a gentleness as well. But there's also a, a sense of... A gentleness in... In 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 the feeling of a library. Uh-huh. I mean, it's subtle. It's it's like a, a cloud in a sense, a puffy cloud. 
Um, but there's also, as I said, structure, organization, and it feeds a technical side of your mind. Yeah, yeah. Organization. So a sort know. of combination of the aesthetic of what it feels like to be yes. in the space, but also then how that makes your brain feel because information is being codified and regulated and it's not messy. It's, ca- it's rendering the chaos ordered. Ab- absolutely. Absolutely. And, yeah, you you know, as I said, you're not thinking of being a librarian um, immediately, but after a few years out of uni, I, or a couple of years, I, I decided to go back and do the librarian course. As it turns out, my sister who, and my brother, who are a lot older than me, and we're very different personalities, got into libraries too. Um, my sister got into, uh, became a library technician um in 1975, I think she uh, started working at Waverley Library. My brother's still working at Waverley Library, but uh, you know we're. <laughs> I won't. I won't go into the malfunction. Christmas must be thrilling. <laughs> <laughs> but we're very different personalities yeah. too, you know. Um, so that's that's why I got into libraries. What does NIDA have in their library? Okay, your library. What we do is cater to the core courses of NIDA. Primarily, and by core courses, that's obviously the Master of Fine Arts, Bachelor of Fine Arts courses. Then we get into VET, Vocational Educational Training, and then uh, the Open Studio, who can borrow. Um, so we're really catering to them, and of course, that's. So, uh, what's the Open Studio? Open Studio. Well, we have the Open courses, and there is uh, the Studio are the part time rather than the casual element, and they're there for about a year. Um, but the Sydney people can borrow. Everyone else who are interstate or young actors can use the online resources. But what we do have is uh, loads of plays and then scholarly texts relating to theatre and drama and theatre and drama practitioners, other subjects relating to drama such as directing, writing for performance, dramaturgy. Uh, then we do have a lot of costume design. We have plenty of music scores too because our acting students have an elective Bachelor of Fine Arts, and uh, that's in music theatre, and there is a VET course dedicated to musical theatre as well. Um, The architecture of the library remains the same as it was when I started. That was created by Christine Roberts, who was there from... She started the library in 1980 and left in 2009, but she did an extraordinary job. And what she one of the things she did was separate the plays from the um, scholarly text. So we have loads of plays in one section, ostensibly in alphabetical order, Australian, international, but then some are in title order if they're collected works. And do you have, like, visual archives as well? Yeah, we do. Um, we, we obviously have DVDs and we have CDs. Uh, we also have an internal streaming service where we yeah. have those, um, or, you know, as most, most people do, um, ours is DVC, um, is a company we're with at the moment, and we have our production archives in there for internal use only. And um, and so obviously students are using this all the time. Is that kind of library where, you, you know, they're there at three in the morning? No, because we're not open at three. <laughs> in the, but we do, are open um, till 8pm for three nights a week and open up at 8.30 in the morning for three mornings a week. So, yeah, they do use the library for those 11 and a half hours. So you've obviously got a buying policy then too to keep mm. the library going. Yes. What how, like what lines of direction does that do you have a specialization in Australian plays is there? Yeah. Well, again, you know, with the buying it I'm, I'm always running it by the the teaching staff has to make making sure that I'm, I'm in the right direction. With the play collection, um, and the good news about plays 
the publishers are becoming more ethnocentric, which is great. So even though you have uh, a, a very Anglo publishing house such as Bloomsbury in London, the plays that they're publishing are come are coming in towards an international bent: Pakistani plays, Indian plays. Um, and so forth, South African plays. And that's a good thing. Um, in terms of buying, uh, the British publishers, uh, they specialise with, say, they have partnerships with the National Theatre in London, and they're quite sought-after plays. So we're fairly Anglo-centric in that sense of publishing houses. Um, with American publishers, there's Samuel French, Dramatic um, Service, I've got Dramatic Publishing Service, and also Theatre Communications Group, and they're quite good. So... With the plays, we go along that bent, but there's also the other aspect, and that's ebooks. And any ebooks that are on our ebook platform, and we buy through Procrest. In fact, we don't buy the plays, or we don't buy ebooks, we put them up onto our catalogue, and then if anyone uses them, then we have to pay for it at that point. Yeah, this is a brave new world of um, yeah. you know, electronic books and libraries. Do, do, you know, sometimes when I've been accessing an ebook online, uh, you're only allowed to have two people or three people. or There's a licence about mm. how many people can read it at the same time. Mm. And that's a problem if you've got a class of 150 students yeah. uh, and an assignment due in a week's time. It, you know, is that sort of also playing out at NIDA? Um, it can. That can. But most of the most of the licences, not all, because some of the licences are, as you say, they're three-user licence or one-user licence. But mostly they're called non-linear it's non-linear license, meaning that you have 325 days of use. So if 10 students use it for 30 days, you've used up 300 days. Um, and if you go over, you need to buy the ebook again. And after one calendar year, it refreshes. It goes back to 325 days of well, use. Like what, what does the librarian in you that liked the aesthetic of the library and the order think yeah. about this electronic turn? Look, you know, good question. Because, yeah, I liked what I told you about coming into a library in 1988 um, still applies. But, you know, the, the great thing about being in a job is that you're working and suddenly you are slowly but stealthily, you are having to deal with um, electronic infrastructures. Um, you become an IT specialist and, <laughs> or and you're forced to. In many ways, in advance of other sectors. I mean, yeah. the librarians have been doing IT stuff you know, for decades, haven't you? Um, yeah, you do. You do, because obviously you've got your own uh, platforms um, for, you know, management services for libraries, you know, borrowers and all the books are in the, the catalogue, as it were. Yes, yes. Well, there's more now because of the e-book platforms, because of databases that are very library-centric, such as Drama Online and what Bloomsbury are doing with that. So Drama Online, for example, is magnificent. It's the sort of thing you dream about, and it's come to life where you have a platform of eminently readable plays. It's not just an e-book. They're readable. The um, words in the Shakespeare text, the Arden third series Shakespeare text, are hyperlinked, so you don't have to go to the bottom of the page. So the annotations come through. You have different play tools. They offer LA Theatre Works. They offer the Globe Shakespeare Review, um, amongst other things. So there's some fabulous stuff out there. Um, and, you know, the difference, too, is that the platforms, in a sense, in a sense, are easier to use because now... As you know from looking at websites, how different they are to, they, to how they were, say, last decade. They're not clunky. They're 
almost art house. You almost have to figure out what a symbol means, but it's designed to make you feel that you're in a lounge room and you're very comfortable. It's very a very Ikea-looking thing, isn't it? Yeah. Um, as we know. But we're, from a library point of view, what we have to really be aware of is any change in a server or anything the IT guys are doing in the back, whatever, you can lose... Um, you know, touch with um with the product, meaning suddenly someone can't access this at home or whatever it may be. So all those authentications, such as, you know, being able to access the product from home or the ebook, you really have to keep an eye on that. It, that's, that's becoming a 24-hour job, funnily enough. I mean, the other bit about that might be particular to um, performing arts, and when we think about resources like library resources, is surely the hard copy really matters. Like when you're in early stages of rehearsal and you don't know your lines yet and you're walking up and down the stage, you need the hard copy in front of you in a way that you don't if you're doing your scholarly you know, essay or something. You know, then then the hyperlinked version on your on your desktop is fine. What happens in that that sort of yeah. performing space? Well, what we do as a policy is that, and you know, we've we st- we're very much sticklers for copyright, and we do work with a copyright agency limited. But we buy the the texts for the students to use because that's absolutely correct. I mean, Drama Online have a play tools element where you can um, look at a graph of all the characters and all the acts or scenes and there are circles within those particular cells and the larger the circle the more words they have and you you double click it and out come all their lines for that scene so that's one way people can learn their lines but really the book is the thing yeah you know there's no getting away from it i mean books won't go away until the trees go but until that the books will stay and it's a very um embodied you know, undertaking to perform music or put on a, a play. Yeah, of course it so is. So that materiality. I mean, I, rem- I remember um, attending a, a, a scholarly paper given by someone that was researching how Shakespeare plays were hmm. performed. And uh, they were suggesting that act- the actors were only given their lines and maybe the five words of the character beforehand. Obviously, paper is at a premium. Hmm. Um and so they would they would have all their lines in one go with just these intros and only walk on when they heard the lines. And sometimes that meant they walked on at the total wrong moment. And it's so the play was a much more um, piecemeal in some ways uh, experience for the actors who yes. uh, came and went. And, and I'm, it doesn't sound dissimilar to the electronic um, version with the circles that you were just talking about. Yes, yes, yes. It's funny how things go in a go in a circle over you know the period of 500 years or but i mean in shakespeare's day i think that you know even if it's a tragedy in a sense it was just a it was just an event like going to a pub right watching a play and it didn't matter if the audience was rowdy or not you know because they'll damn the pit um but of course it's a lot more that's a lot more that side of things is a lot more formalized now you're listening to Glam City on 2SER 107.3. To download this show, head to the 2SER website or check out your favourite podcast app. We love all the apps, all the apps, and search for Glam City. That's G-L-A-M, Glam City. And don't forget to leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people to find us. Now, on this episode of Glam City, we are talking all things dramatic 
and Artistic with Roz Brzezzi, who's um, from the library at the National Institute of Dramatic Art that is better known as NIDA. Now, Ross, earlier in the show, you said that you were interested in music. Yes. What is your particular um, instrument of choice? Well, I played last night, actually. Um, I muck around. I mean, I play. I did music at uni, but really, back then, that would have been an equivalent to <coughs> a, a, a liberal arts course. Um, I didn't. I didn't specify in any one music instrument. I didn't. I didn't play music as a child. It just kind of came to me. I started playing recorder at age twelve, as we all do, and I became obsessed with it. So the music teacher told my mum he should play music, you know, etc. She was Mrs. Avotnik, um, and I played violin. I wasn't good at that at all. I played trombone because we had free lessons back then. But really, it's when I and then I played clarinet, which I liked a lot. Um, but these days I play, I started piano at age 20, I hired a piano and learnt, took lessons for two years and I, I try and play a bit every day. I'm not a great player, but I'm good enough to get on stage and play a song, etc. Um, and really my instruments, I love bass, um, you know, and, and playing bass is, the way I like to play bass is to play, say, the Bach cello suites or some of them not the ones not the ones that are too hard or go too high or the left hand of the preludes the two three part preludes um so i played bass but really now i'm playing acoustic guitar and um piano and my partner she sings and um and she plays she plays keyboards and she plays a lot of little sque- squeezy instruments such as um all the harmonica and the Does she melodica. play the accordion no, not that squeezy. Oh. She could if she would. It's my dream. <laughs> um, so you said you had a gig. What? I did last night. Yeah, we played at Lazy Bones Lounge in Marrickville. And which what is sort good of fun. what sort of music is your thing? You sound, it sounds thing, like you straddle the classical. I, I like the back of the, the. I like the. You could say classical is a bit of a back end thing for me. I like to practice classical. Not nothing too hard, mind you, but I do like practicing classical on an instrument. But I don't play classical. Uh, at all, I play, you know, contemporary music with a bit of a blues and a jazz element to it. And it, it was interesting to me. You said that this was a thing that you came to in school, and that your music teacher—I'm guessing you went to a, a public school, state school. I or? went to um, a Catholic school. A Catholic school, yeah. yeah. And um, and there was music lessons in as part of the curriculum. Is that um, right? I think I think for me. Uh, because I did music throughout school, but at school it was really just a safety valve. So it was good to just go to the music department and just get away from it and find my own aesthetic, yeah. as we talked about, and discover new things. But that was the magic of school looking back, because I think English did the same thing for me in year 11 when you're reading Pride and Prejudice and other novels, and this is like, wow, what a new world this and is. And drama often does that too. And drama does that too, yes, yeah. yes. But, I mean, the way I see myself is that I think the reason, one of the reasons it's worked so well for me and it's fit at NIDA is because I love the theatre. I'm enamoured of it. I'm awed by what these students do. And they're wonderful students. I mean, they're such good people, bright and so enthused. But I'm not a theatre practitioner. I mean, I said I'm a musician and I like a bit of literature. So in a sense, I'm a cousin to what they do. But because I'm not a theatre practitioner, I don't want to kind of know who's directing this or that. I, there's a healthy detachment. I can just do my job. But I understand. I get it. I, I'm a, a fit, and yep. that's um, well. I think it's it's worked out quite well. 
I've been going to some of the Belvoir productions yes. and they've got a new playwriting um, scheme there. Is there an attempt to sort of collect that kind of material that's coming? We were talking earlier about um, overseas big publishing houses and, and public publishing in English, but mm. there is this sort of stream of local talent that yes. is being fostered. Yes. How does that make its way into the library? I mean, some of those people might in fact come out of NIDA. Yeah. Well, one way is, um, okay, you can look at, our students, for one thing, and we do have a writing for directing masters, and the masters courses go for fifteen months. Uh, the masters in writing for performance is uh, led, or the head of department is Stephen Sewell, who's a major Australian playwright. Now, the plays um, get performed at the end of the year, um, often with the papers, but that's okay because the actors come in and stand in and perform them. Um, some of those students stay on and get commissioned to write a play for um, our performance seasons. We have two performance seasons per year for our acting students and, of course, the costumers and designers to create the sets and so forth. Other than that, there is a, another database called australianplays.org and they are a repository of non-published Australian playwrights where you can um, go in and read a script um, five times for a maximum of five hours each time. Um, and there's also the publishing houses, Currency and La Mama, and sometimes our graduates are writers. So I think, especially since Stephen's come in, there is a very healthy push to bring Australian, or say graduates, but also just young Australian playwrights, to fulfil their talents and get their work out there. Because I can see that it is happening. Yeah, I mean, and that, that sort of brings us to the question of the future of the performing arts in mm. Australia. And um, why do you think that it is... What role do they have in, in our cultural life? Well, I mean, it's a good question. And, and sometimes you have to look at that from the ground up. I mean, from the ground up, I'll start with my own. And why do I play music? Why do I read? Why do I work in a library, a performing arts library? Because there's passion, because you want to do it. And... Our students who come to NIDA, um, they're going to have to want to do it because they have to work very hard. But when you love something and you have an innate talent for it, the hardness is part of the, the joy. The difficulties are part of the joy. So yeah. that means that you have people out there who are doing. Now, whether they're doing it for professionally or non-professionally, the fact is that there's always a ferment of, in this case, as you said, performing artists. Now, that finds its way in the culture. It, it can't help but not. Even if you have a very reactionary government or whatever it might be, um, there's always scope. Now, one of, the, one of the courses that they do teach at NIDA since about 2013 or so is um, collaboration, introduction to collaboration, because students are encouraged to uh, collaborate and find their own way, not just wait for the agent to pick them up or whatever, which is still valid and still, you know, encouraged but on the other side of things is go out and create your own art and you are given the skills to bring it to some kind of fruition as well so the answer is that performing arts are here to stay i mean you look at any culture i mean any culture that you may have read about or traveled and seen there is a performing arts aspect to to humanity 
Look, and I can't agree with you more, uh, but the kind of conditions that foster, that support or um, don't support that uh, do do shape it. You know, if yes. we think about Australia in the 50s and 60s in the era of censorship, you know, before the Australia Council mm. or even earlier before the ABC Orchestra got off the ground, like although there were, was plenty of activity, the kind of landscape for um, for realising that was much curtailed than yeah. it is now. Um, and so how do you think, um, you know, if we look at uh, the influence of the lockout laws in Sydney too, mm. they've had a huge effect on the, the music scene and yeah. the performing arts scene. Yeah. Um, I mean, are you seeing your students get political around um, advocating for these sorts of structures and legislative reform? I personally have an I keep an eye out for, you know, these, these like that lockout law is a great example. But then I think, is there another avenue that people can go through? You know, in that point about the 50s and 60s is very interesting. See, what happens, of course, is that you have the era and then something new breaks out. Now, I guess what happened in Australia, the early 70s, I think La Mama in Melbourne was a very pioneering place. And suddenly, like Williamson's La Mama, plays, of course, being the uh, theatre company in yes, Carlton. Yeah? Uh, in Melbourne. Melbourne, Melbourne in Carlton, Yes, yeah. yes. And the plays that were coming out there were quite of the time. And the language within the plays was the dialogue, for example, was quite new. And then, of course, you had the explosion. Then you had the 70s and David Williams's removalists and the club and the coming of Stork. All those plays were Don's Party um, were quite revolutionary. I don't know the answer of where that ferment of talent finds its you know will erupt exactly exactly it does seem to me that there's a real we're on the edge of a real return to these kinds of embodied forms of um, performance the more we live in a digital world and if you think too about the effects of something like Amazon a lot of companies are investing very heavily to counter Amazon in customer experience which is a th- thing you can only get by going into the store. Yes. Um, and yes. it seems that, um, you know, the return of festivals and gigs yes. as and, and as the way, and performances as the way that bands make money is a sort of corollary to that. Mm. Um, so I, I, I'm kind of excited to, to, to see yep. what's going to happen. Yes. Um, and I, I, I guess I was just wondering how we make that, not just a process that is artistic, yes. but also is a process that's about, what kind of society we want to live in and that is political and that is saying, well, how can we foster these things? Yes, yes. Uh, Interesting you you say that and ask that because just in the waiting room, um, take a photo of a Paddington Town Hall um, record fair and there were bands and everything. This was 1983 and I thought, God, those were the good old days because, you know, they're just – it's like you mentioned the library and we talked about – the aesthetic of it like I walk into my public library um, on the weekend and borrow a book and I'm not not at night I'm just a customer and there's a sense of fulfillment being there and and receiving what you want like that information the books are there this is going to be great and yeah we all we all love um, live theatre and we love live music and it's still it's it's still present Um, so it, it doesn't go away but I know that in this day and age, there are barriers, say, compared to how things were perhaps in the 80s and 90s. Um, does that, is that your Yeah, point? yeah. And I'm like, well, you know, let's, uh, let's break down the barriers or let, you know, let's get political as well as being about 
making because we don't make culture in a vacuum. We make it in a political and economic. We do. Context. That's right. Now, uh, speaking of our social context, we're yes. coming to the end of the show, and there's uh, our glam slam segment where we ask you what's coming up in your cultural calendar. Well, you know, in terms of the library, there's going to be a lot of moving, <laughs> which doesn't sound like fun. For myself, I've got a couple of gigs coming up, Lazy Bones Lounge and Gasoline Pony, both in Marrickville. Uh, we have the play productions coming up in June, which I'm looking forward yeah, to. because, us, um... Well, we've got Waiting for Gotto, oh, well, which will be favorite. quite, quite a... I mean, I haven't seen that. Um, and we've got The Removalists by David Williamson. Um, so that'll be interesting to see how far they get back into not just the costuming and the, and the vernacular of that, but to see if they can get back to a spirit of an era and it, us as an audience. It's as if we're back in 1972 and this is really new. Waiting for God, I will be looking at that as if to say, wow, this is a French existential play from the 50s. So, you know, we, we look at it almost, but, you know... A theatre being theatre, you engage yourself into it. Um, there'll be a newly commissioned work, which is fantastic. We often do that. And all of the public can attend any of these? They can. They just need to book via Ticketek through the NIDA website. NIDA website. Brilliant. Thank you very much for joining us here on Glam City. Thank you, Ross. If you'd like to hear more of us, uh, head to the 2SCR website. You can check out our back catalogue. Um, you can find me on Twitter as Cap and Gown, and Anna Clark is there at Anna Home Hope Clark. She'll be seizing the microphone from next week. Uh, shoot us an email at glamcity at 2SCR.com, and we will see you all next week. Well, you'll hear us, actually. Bye for now. 